The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Thursday, November 10th. It's 525. It is pitch black here. I hate it. I'm so miserable. I hate daylight savings time. Well, actually, I guess this is standard time now. So daylight savings daylight is the better anymore. one. Yeah, yeah we're, on da- we're on daylight savings now. Yeah, now I'm on standard, but <laughs> literally, like, it starts getting dark at, like, 445, and by mm-hmm. 5 o'clock, it's pitch black out. And we're the opposite now. It's like light here till 8, 8.30 at night, so it's very nice. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the first few days since it's like we went ahead – no, we went back an hour. I, like, was waking up at, like, 6.30, like, no problem. I felt like a morning queen, which I am not a morning queen ever. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'm, like, up so early. It's so great. Like, I don't have to rush to get ready for work. But I still just like laid in bed until it was late. So, <laughs> this, even though it's only an hour, it, I feel like it takes me usually like a few weeks to just get fully back into the time change and to adjust to it. Yeah, I don't. I feel like it doesn't like mess me up that much, but I definitely hate how it gets dark so early, and I just feel like it's so much later than it is because it's dark at five yeah. o'clock. Like I feel like it's seven o'clock already. Mm. And my cats take forever to adjust because <laughs> they have, like, their food at a yeah. certain time. They get their treats at a certain time. And so they start, like, acting crazy an hour early. And I'm like, no, no, no. Not yet. Not yet. No treats for you. <laughs> but, yeah, so what's been up with you? Not too much. Um, it's been, again, I feel like all I talk about is the weather, a bit like a broken record. But <laughs> I think I said yesterday we must be at now day 10 of – no rain, which is unbelievable considering it rains all the time apparently lately. So the weather has been phenomenal. Sunny, hot, beautiful, amazing, great. <laughs> so everyone is very happy here. It's crazy the difference the weather makes and the and the light as well, like the daylight. Um, I've seen a lot of people posting on social media now about where they are. Seasonal depression. Yeah, yeah, like in, <laughs> in the northern hemisphere about how their seasonal depression is coming back. It's crazy how much it affects you. You don't. I feel like when you're in the thick of it, you don't really realize until you get out of it. And you're like, oh wow, I feel so much better now. I know. Mm. The only good thing is like in the winter, at least at the start of it, you have like the holiday season, so it's kind of fun. But then after yeah. like Christmas for January through March, it's just miserable and depressing. <laughs> but yeah, so no, it's been nice. Been a pretty quiet week. My oldest daughter has been away on her first ever school camp. They've been away mm-hmm. since Wednesday. It's now Friday here. They're coming back this afternoon. So it's quite weird because it's the first time ever in her life really that she's been anywhere and I haven't been able to contact her. They're not allowed to take phones or devices. I doubt there's even internet where they are. So well, yeah, so the school's been posting some photos, which is really nice but I'll be glad when she gets home and I'm sure she's going to be very exhausted and very cranky. <laughs> oh 
for her. I was one yeah. of those kids that like was so anxious. Like I, I still am now. I was just born that way. But I could. I always wanted to like have sleepovers, but I was always I couldn't sleep over people's houses. I'd get so upset and want to go home. And I'm still the same way now. Like I hate sleeping out places. I just need my specific bed and like my specific stuff and to just like be alone. <laughs> but even as a kid, I would like my best friend's house. I'd go over all the time, and she'd sleep over at my house. But I'd try to sleep over, and then I'd end up like being upset and making my mom come get me. <laughs> I used to be like that too. I used to hate like there was a few times where I had to go home from sleepovers when I was probably the same age as my daughter. But she has been pretty good, which I'm surprised about because when she was little she was a very anxious child like I remember getting out of the car to put petrol or gas in the car and she would scream and scream and scream even though I was at the door right next to her when she was a baby obviously this was but she's always been anxious but now she's just kind of blossoming into her own independent child who doesn't seem to be too phased hopefully by it so I did wake up the first night and check my phone a few times just in case there was a late night phone call. Yeah, from like the teacher. you're the more anxious one now. <laughs> but no, there wasn't. She seems to have been all good, fingers crossed. Yeah, I remember, well, I mean, I kind of remember because it felt so traumatic to me. But even when my mom would bring me to like three year old preschool and she'd drop me off, I'd cry and cry and cry and cry. And the only way that like my mom convinced me that it was like okay and that she wasn't going to leave me there forever, she told me that the whole time I was there, she just was right outside in the parking lot. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she wasn't, obviously, but she told me she was. Lucky you couldn't see out the window. Where is she? <laughs> yeah. One time though, actually, we talk about how this could have been like a true crime story. My <laughs> sister went to like the same preschool and she like escaped and my mom went to go pick her up. Like she went outside for some reason and my mom went to go pick her up and she was gone. And then they were like, we don't know where she is. And then she ended up just being like not that far outside, but like. One of my brothers or both my brothers actually were kind of serial runners. Like I remember once my, I've got two brothers, the middle brother climbed the fence at the daycare and mm-hmm. the only, the only, like he climbed a fence and escaped <laughs> no out, onto a, out onto a busy road. But um. My, some people who worked with my dad so luckily actually saw him and went and got him and took him back to the preschool, which imagine if that happened today. <laughs> I know. Oh, my goodness. And then another time my mum always tells the story that they went. we went on a holiday and I don't know if it's so much a thing there, but some resorts here have kids club where you can go and leave your kid yeah. for like a few hours while you go out for dinner or whatever. And mum said they're at a restaurant and the restaurant had like half frosted glass so you could just see kind of the top and the bottom but not in the middle and she just said she saw these little feet running (laughs) and it was my other brother who had escaped from kids club (laughs) Jeez, Uh, yeah so anyway crazy yeah i i didn't ever try to escape i just cried the whole time (laughs) life of the party too busy crying (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh um all right. Well, there's nothing really up with me much as usual. Unfulfilling, boring, <laughs> crying. <laughs> so we will just get into this episode because I'm actually really excited for this episode, which sounds inappropriate, but I don't mean it in an inappropriate way. But it's such a crazy story. Um, we weren't going to do this episode in- initially, but once we started posting about it on Instagram, people were like, please do an episode on this. Please do an episode on this. So we're like, fine, I guess. No. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to do um, the very recent murder of Ashley Bush. If you don't remember which one that is by name, she was just basically abducted. She was pregnant. She was abducted and murdered and kind of set up to have by someone who wanted to steal her baby and we're also going to talk about a case that happened a few 
years ago that was similar of Savannah Greywind, who was also um, her baby was also stolen and she was murdered. So it's pretty dark subject, but this it's just one of those things where it's so insane that these people thought they could get away with this and just have the baby and live their life and get away with it and I guess the sad thing too is that this actually happens fairly frequently like I don't want to say it happens every week because it probably doesn't but there have been so many cases of this happening people just keep doing it it's, I guess desperation drives people to do crazy things sometimes yeah so we are gonna get into both of those stories um there's a lot going on so you will definitely want to hear about it definitely has been a shocking few days as crews tirelessly searched until they found Ashley Bush and her baby. Unfortunately, they were both found dead on separate days in different places. This case started days ago as a missing pregnant woman who was also a fiance and a mom was just hoping to get a new job. And now it's been flipped upside down as these new details keep coming in. Here's just a small part of the press conference where investigators broke the news. With sad news, uh, report something. Uh, over my career, this is one of the most horrific um, uh, cases that I have been personally involved with. A devastating situation as Ashley Bush and her baby were both found dead in Missouri. Bush was found on Thursday and her baby Wednesday, but both were found in different locations. Ashley Bush was found with gunshot wounds, but it's unclear at this time how her baby, Valkyrie Grace, died. Now, her baby girl was just 31 weeks in gestation. In gestation. Her two people are now behind bars in connection with this kidnapping, and those people are Amber Waterman and her husband, Jamie Waterman. So Ashley Bush, or sometimes you may see her referred to as Ashley Boone, she was 33 years old and she lived in Maysville, Arkansas. She was 31 weeks pregnant with a baby girl that she'd already named Valkyrie Grace Willis, and she had three other children who were aged eight, seven, and two at the time that she died, and she was engaged to her fiancé, Josh Willis. So you can check out her Facebook if you want to see, you know, kind of who she was before all this happened. It does seem, though, that her pregnancy was tough. She made some posts in Facebook groups that are still up, and we've got some screenshots on the blog. On October 27th, this is literally days before this happened, she wrote, I'm currently off work at 30 weeks pregnant due to gestational hypertension. My fiancé is going through a series of back surgeries, so he's unable to work as well. I'm looking for work from home that can be done from a mobile phone. We don't have Wi-Fi at home or a tablet or computer. Side jobs that can be completed in less than a few hours. We have three other kids to take care of and have been struggling since his first back surgery. And another post she wrote, located in Maysville, Arkansas, I have entered my third trimester, but I'm needing everything for my little girl. The doctor has put me off work trying to keep the little escape artist in a little longer. I go back to the doctor on Tuesday to see if labor has progressed or if I'm still dilated to only two. I'm starting to have issues with my blood pressure and I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to work. So then she just goes into what she had and then what she needs in terms of supplies for the baby. Josh also gave some interviews, her partner Josh, at the time that she went missing. And he said, with Ashley being pregnant, she's been having complications with these pregnancy, with this pregnancy, and the doctor took her off work. 
So in kind of a perfect storm of bad circumstances, around the time that Ashley was making these posts looking for help and looking for work, there was a woman named Lucy Barrow on Facebook who was offering to give away her baby items. There's a post from October 24 that Lucy made and it says, I have a bunch of baby items if any mums-to-be need them. So I believe this may be how Ashley and Lucy met, either through the baby items or through the work post that Ashley made. On Friday, October 28th this year, 2022, Ashley arranged to meet with Lucy at a public library near where they both lived. Josh went with Ashley to this meeting and Lucy arrived in a pickup truck. So during this meeting, Lucy and Ashley discussed an employment opportunity at a company called Conduent. Conduent is a legit company that offers digital platforms for business and government. The meeting seemed to go well. Josh said she handed Ashley a bunch of paperwork that they would email her and told her to wait for her boss to contact her for another interview. So this looked pretty promising for Ashley, apparently. That night, Lucy messaged Ashley and said that her supervisor at Conduent wanted to meet her on Monday, October 31 in Bentonville, Arkansas at 9am. Some texts went back and forth between the two and they agreed that Ashley would meet Lucy at the Handy Stop convenience store on Monday. The plan was for Lucy to then drive Ashley to meet with her supervisor. So I'm guessing, you know, that was just the meeting point for a pickup where they would both go to this meeting. So Monday came around, Josh drove Ashley to the planned meeting place. He said that Lucy turned up in the same pickup truck that she'd driven to the library meeting. Ashley got in the car and drove away with Lucy. I'm not entirely sure if there ever was a meeting with the supervisor. I think there must have been some type of meeting because Ashley was with Lucy until around 3 p.m. So that's a big gap of time, 9 till 3. I'd be yeah, interested. Day. Yeah, I'd be interested to learn which they haven't said yet, what actually went down, you know, during that time. But And especially for her to like not get any or seem assuming to not get too many red flags where she was like, I want to go. Yeah, and it seems like, yeah, there was nothing. Like she had her phone up until a point. So if she was worried, she could have, you know, texted for help, but she didn't. So it seems like nothing seemed amiss to Ashley until later in the day anyway. Yeah. At around 3 p.m. that day, Ashley messaged Josh to say that she was headed back to the convenience store where he could pick her up. Josh went there and he was waiting when he saw Lucy's pickup drive by again and the car didn't stop though. Like Ashley didn't get out, the car just kept driving. It turned onto Highway 43 and went north. He has said that he saw Lucy driving and Ashley in the passenger seat. He tried to call Ashley and be like, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? But her phone went straight to voicemail. He said, all I saw was her and the lady she rode with both passed me. Neither one stopped. The driver looked at me and kept going. So Josh became concerned fairly quickly, as you would. Um, He said, we tried all night long texting her, calling her, trying to get her to answer. They looked quickly into Lucy. They called, I guess they got in touch with Conduent. um, And basically they... The company told him that there was no one called Lucy who worked for them in Arkansas or, you know, in that location. Yeah. Josh filed a missing persons report with the Benton County Sheriff and they issued an alert for Ashley, which basically just went over the timeline of her disappearance, including Lucy and the convenience store sighting. And it just, the only real addition um, was it included what she'd been wearing. It said she was last seen wearing a black hoodie, blue jeans and black slip-on shoes. She's 31 weeks pregnant. I'm here in Maysville. This convenience store is the last place her fiance saw her before a truck she was riding in drove down Highway 43 on Monday afternoon. We spoke with him again this afternoon and he is still pleading for her safe return. I just want everybody to know out there I am not a suspect. I loved Ashley with everything I had. I would never do anything to harm her at all whatsoever. I'm not that type of guy. 
Uh, I just want I just want her back. Ashley Bush's fiance Josh Willis says the last time he saw his fiance, she was in the passenger seat of a truck with a woman they knew as Lucy. She was supposed to stop at the handy stop to drop Ashley off after a job interview. Instead, she looked at him as she turned on Highway 43 and then drove north so fast Willis could not catch up with her. I cannot believe that they offered to help us all out and then they took off with her. The woman told Ashley she had a work from home job for her to interview for. Monday was the second interview in Bentonville. Her family called the company and found out things didn't match up and they didn't know a Lucy. Willis found Ashley's cell phone in a ditch off Highway 43 Tuesday, which concerns him even more because she always had her phone to be able to contact her family. I wish they would just either turn themselves in or bring Ashley back home to us to where we know they're all safe and that her and the baby aren't harmed. Willis says Ashley had a very important ultrasound appointment today that she's missed. He says they plan to name their baby girl Valkyrie Grace. With Ashley having so much complications with that baby right now, she could literally pop at any time. She's 32 weeks, but measuring at 34 because the baby's so big. So I'm honestly just wanting them both home safe with all of us so we all can be a happy family again. If anyone has any information about where Ashley is or who this woman known as Lucy is, to call the Benton County Sheriff's Office and ask for Detective Matthews. So Josh met with police the following day, November 1. He had been able to track Ashley's phone and had found it discarded on the side of the highway. Thankfully, he knew the passcode and detectives were able to access it quickly. This information is from the criminal complaint. It's a really comprehensive and very open criminal complaint. There's a ton of information in there. It's just unbelievable. But So this information is direct from that. It says, while reviewing the phone, detectives were able to locate a Facebook account for Lucy. The account appeared to have been created on October 25th, 2022, and the profile name was identified as Lucy Barrows. Detectives located a public posting on the account that read, I have a bunch of baby items if any mums to be need them. So the police took Josh back to the convenience store and they were approached there by a person named Rick Burrow. So nothing to do with Lucy Burrows, a little bit of a similar name, but just to clear that up in case you're wondering. <laughs> Rick said that he'd been with another person named Sawyer McGee and they had been traveling south on Highway 43 on October 31. He said that they saw a male traveling north who threw a red and black cell phone from the moving vehicle and Rick told police that this male had either been driving a gray or light blue Chevy pickup. They worked very quickly in this case and they got information from Meta. This information about that is from the affidavit. It says, Detective Alison Young with the Benton County Sheriff's Office submitted an emergency request to Facebook to request records associated with the profile Lucy Barrows. Facebook provided information indicating that the Lucy Barrows profile was created on October 25th at 6.22. And basically it just goes on to say that they've tracked the IP for the Lucy Barrows account to a Jamie Waterman um, account for T-Mobile in his date of birth and his address. Jamie is a guy. Just Jamie is a guy, which we that confused get. me initially. Yeah, so Jamie is a male. The police also got cell phone records for Ashley and Josh so they could find out where Ashley's phone travelled. So the Benning County Sheriff's Office submitted a request for Ms. Bush's cellular telephone provider T-Mobile. So basically it just goes in that they requested Ashley and Jamie's records um, and it says that the phone travelled from Gravette to Maysville on October 31, 2022 at 11.07 a.m. And it left the area of Maysville at approximately 11.41 a.m. The phone showed a return to Maysville at 6.51 p.m. that night. So that's almost four hours after Ashley kind of drove by in the car. Mm -hmm. They also got 
Ashley's Gmail records. It says that, and it goes into again, that the phone was in Pineville, Missouri at 1.09 p.m. From 1.09 to 1.28 p.m., the victim's phone was in the area of Lachlan Ridge Road in Pineville, Missouri, which is approximately 0.15 miles from the residence of Jamie and Amber Waterman. So, you know, Jamie was the one who the IP address was tracked to for the Lucy Barrows account. So all signs were pointing to this Amber and Jamie Waterman being somehow involved. Mm-hmm. Police went to their home and the couple consented for a search to take place. They found a tan pickup at the home and that matched the description of the vehicle that Ashley and Lucy had driven away in. When police looked in the car, they found they found blood on the centre console, steering wheel and headliner. When police asked Amber about her whereabouts on the day that Ashley vanished, she said that she'd been with her son and her husband's cousin's daughter all day. She told police that she had been pregnant and that she'd gone into labour that day. They'd contacted 911 and I guess where they lived was a pretty rural area, so they had arranged to meet the ambulance at a store in McDonald County, Missouri. Amber told police that she delivered a stillborn child that evening. Police asked for Amber's phone to search and she told them that she had lost it. She also told police that she was the only one with access to the keys for the tan pickup and she told police that she didn't know Ashley but that she did know Lucy Barrows. Her story was that she and Lucy had worked at Walmart together and she told police that she wasn't close with Lucy and that she hadn't seen her a few for a few weeks. One of those stories with a lot of like very convenient mm. points. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So police also questioned Amber's husband, Jamie, about his whereabouts. Jamie told police that on October 31, which is the day that Ashley went missing, he went to work at 6am and he came home for lunch at 12. When he got home for lunch, the tan truck was not there and nobody was home and he has a blue GMC pickup. At 4.30pm, he received a call from Amber informing him that he was ha- she was having a miscarriage. Jamie returned home and drove Amber and the two children to the store and met the ambulance. And Jamie said that he had no knowledge regarding Ashley's disappearance, essentially, at the time. So police seized the TAM pickup at this time and took it for forensic testing. And around this time, too, the FBI became involved, I'm assuming possibly quickly because of the state lines like Arkansas, Missouri. That's what I've read about possibly why they became involved so quickly. Yeah. So November 3rd, police issued a search warrant. The address is redacted in the criminal complaint, but the general location was Pineville, Missouri. Police spoke again to Jamie while this search was being undertaken. He said that on October 31 in the evening, he had also seen the blood in the tan Chevy truck, and he said that he assumed the blood came from Amber during her pregnancy complications. He asked Amber about the blood, but she said that he shouldn't really give an explanation about where it came from. He said that Amber cleaned the blood with rags and then burned them in a barrel. Jamie said that he got the rest of the trash from their house and burned that trash in the same barrel. But then he started to confess. He said that after police had left their home following a prior search at approximately 5 a.m. on Wednesday, November 2nd, Amber confessed that she had killed Ashley. He said that she quickly changed her story and said that Lucy had actually been the one to kill Ashley. So she's really holding on to this Lucy story. We still don't actually know who Lucy is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amber took Jamie to Ashley's body. He he said that Ashley was wearing clothes and she was lying face down next to a boat near the house and that the body had been covered with a blue tarp. Amber took a ring from Ashley's finger. I guess she wanted to keep it maybe. Pawn it. Yeah, rolled the body onto a tarp. Jamie then dragged Ashley's body to a fire pit. Amber asked Jamie to get gas. He bought her a gallon of chainsaw bar chain oil. 
she left the tarp and then put some of the oil over the body and then she started collecting wood to throw on the fire. Jamie dragged a small sofa out to use as fuel for the fire and Amber put that sofa on the fire. Burned for around one hour and then Amber put the fire out with a garden hose. Jamie said that he attempted to remove Ashley's body from the burn pile, but he said it was still very hot. He got a new tarp and then he rolled Ashley's body onto that tarp. The couple then put Ashley onto the bed of Jamie's blue GMC pickup. They couldn't drive the um, body very far though, as Jamie said the truck was having transmission problems and it couldn't be driven for a very long distance. They decided on a place to leave the body. They put Ashley's remains on the ground and took the tarp home with them. And when they got home, Amber burned the tarp. So after he confessed to police, Jamie took police to where her remains are. So the info that we have gone through so far is from the criminal complaint, but there has been some additional information released in the media since that. In regards to Amber being pregnant, McDonald County Sheriff Evanson said they responded to reports of a newborn not breathing on Monday, October 31, which was the day that Ashley went missing, on the night of that day. EMS intercepted the couple near Longview, Missouri, as they were on their way to a hospital. There was also a medical helicopter on standby to take both Amber and the baby to the hospital, but the coroner, a man named BJ Goodwin, was called after the baby was unable to be revived, and he took the baby, the female child, to his funeral home. I've read that he owns a bunch of funeral homes in the area, so... He was the one kind of charged or, you know, responsible for looking after the baby. The coroner has said that Amber had the placenta in her underwear when medical personnel showed up, and this led Jamie to believe that she had given birth. So unhinged. (sighs) Amber, that's crazy. Amber refused any medical treatment. The baby was transported to the funeral home and the placenta was retrieved from Amber. So I'm kind of confused about that. It's a bit of a contradiction. No, no medical treatment. I don't. I, but then I don't know how they retrieved the placenta. Like, did she literally just hand it over? I don't know. It's very strange. I haven't read any other details on that. I'm guessing I just like they didn't look inside of her or anything, yeah. or really they just kind of took the placenta. Yeah. Which like, is, I guess ugh. you can have a home birth, but you would think in a situation like this, I don't. I just don't know how she was able to not have any medical apparent, you know what I mean, like medical intervention for a stillborn baby. It's crazy. So I think if you just refuse it, you just refuse it. (laughs) Mm. I guess they can't tie you down and make you. No, because like when I worked at the doctor's office before anyone like came in for the first time, you had to sign like a consent form of being like, yes, the doctor, I consent to being treated by this doctor and that the doctor is allowed to you know, like give me medical treatment and like touch me basically. So November 1, this is like the day after Ashley went missing. So this has all happened in the day the baby was born, the baby died. You know, we now know that Ashley was also murdered on that day. So the following day, November 1, Jamie and Amber went to the funeral home owned by the coroner. They said they wanted to plan a service for the baby who they had named Dakota. They scheduled the service for November 2 and said they wanted to cremate her. So 1 p.m. on November 2 was the scheduled service date. The morning of this service, the Benton County coroner called BJ Goodwin, who is the funeral home owner and coroner in the area, and asked for a DNA swab of the baby. The Benton, he said, the Benton County coroner calls me and said, hey, we think something's going on with the baby. We think this is connected to the kidnapping. The coroner told BJ that the vehicle descriptions matched, like, you know, matched, the, I guess, the description that Ashley was seen driving away in and the vehicles that Amber and Jamie had and that Benton County wanted to do an autopsy on the baby. BJ agreed but insisted that the funeral go ahead first just in case there was a mistake. 
He said, when they get here Wednesday, we do the service with the family. Everyone was very distraught, which is normal after parents who go through something so traumatic. I just can't believe they I know. had a funeral for this baby. That's <sighs> mind blown. Did Jamie, the husband or boyfriend or whatever, did he actually still think that she had the baby? Like, I know it's a story, but realistically, like, what, you think she just murdered someone else for no reason? Or did he think, like... Lucy in quotes murdered this person and well I think his his story is that he didn't know until November 2nd which was the day of the funeral I think so BJ Goodwin has said that he was very cautious as it seemed far-fetched and the Waterman family said Amber had already miscarried four times so they were very emotionally upset after BJ found out about the murder and what had actually happened he said they got cleaned up after burning and disposing her body and showed up for a funeral he did say that the funeral seemed normal. There was nothing out of the ordinary, though. Everyone kind of acted as you would expect at a funeral and that there were less than 12 people there. So the Benton County coroner arrived at the funeral home to take the baby's remains for an autopsy. BJ said that when this happened, Amber's mood changed and she asked multiple times if DNA tests would be performed. He said as soon as Jamie heard that, he got up and ran out of the funeral home. BJ has also since made a statement about the death of the baby. He said the baby was cut out of the mother after the mother was killed. I don't know if the baby came out alive or dead. So we've also been made aware of some social media posts that Amber had made prior to this. In September on her Facebook, she wrote, I need some encouragement, guys. The closer time gets, I'm assuming it should say the closer time gets, but she's right, the closer time gets, the more doubt I can do this alone. And she's included two kind of sonogram pictures of apparently this baby that she was having. Yeah. So basically she faked a pregnancy. Yeah. Someone wrote, when is the due date? And she wrote the 17th. So I, I didn't write what month. I'm assuming she was probably referring to the 17th of November. Um because obviously then she put her plan into place kind of the end of October, which would be, you know, a reasonable time frame to have an early baby maybe. Yeah. Anyway, she also made a TikTok with random sonogram images on September 6th and the caption, this is what you're leaving behind. So she was really getting into the story. What does that even mean? I don't know. I don't really know what that means. Like maybe she was uh, like I have to wonder if she maybe was having issues with Jamie. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's when she was so desperate kind of to yeah. have this fake baby. Because I, I don't know what else that caption could mean really. Um, yeah, no, that was my first thought too. I, that's what I would assume. So Ashley's partner, Josh, made the following statement around November 4. He said, I'm disgusted in the whole situation. I wish that Al- Ashley and Valkyrie were alive and home with us all. I can't believe that there are people out there that would do something like this. She was a great mother, a wonderful wife, a very outgoing, caring, and kind person. They didn't deserve any of this. There are three amazing kids here that just lost their mother, best friend, and little sister. I just lost my wife and daughter. We are all going to support each other through this, but you are all devastated in the whole thing. We were all hoping and praying they would come home safely. I've lost all hope in humanity, and I appreciate the help from er- out there from everyone. So the Watermans appeared in court for the first time on November 4. Amber has been charged with one count of kidnapping resulting in death. Jamie has been charged with one count of being an accessory after the fact to kidnapping resulting in death. They were both assigned a public defender and the federal prosecutor asked the court to hold them without bond until their trial. They were booked into Greene County, Missouri jail on late November 4. We've also learned that Ashley's cause of death was gunshot. Um, I know there was a lot of kind of 
headline news that Ashley and the baby had been found in separate locations, which is true, but I don't think that's really surprising considering what has kind of evolved from the story. They took the baby. They wanted everyone yeah, to believe the, the baby. Them. Yeah, so that's kind of everyone's like, wow, found separately, but that is obviously why. In Arkansas, someone who kills a pregnant woman is charged with two counts of murder, Nathan Smith, the Benton County prosecutor, said, but it wasn't clear where Ashley or her child were killed yet, so homicide charges have not yet been filed. Amber did appear in court on Wednesday, November 9. The hearing only lasted for a few minutes and was held to decide if Amber should remain in custody until the trial. Magistrate Judge David Rush decided that Amber is a danger to the community and should be detained. He said he will give a full explanation in a few days and she's due back in court again on November 21. So I I am interested to hear what this full explanation is. I'm not surprised. It sounds like she is very unwell to well, she is unwell to carry out a crime like this and think she could get away with it. But I'll be interested to see what extra information the judge has. Yeah, I can't decide if, like, did she go, did she think the funeral was, like, a good idea? Like, that's the part where I'm like, wow. But then I'm like, was she just totally in over her head at that point and being like, I'm just going with it? Yeah, and, like, I've read in a few cases, and in, in Savannah's case we'll discuss too, the perpetrator kind of starts to believe their own lies sometimes. Yeah, that's what and I'm wondering. Yeah, so I would be interested to know if she has a mental health evaluation and what comes from that, and I'm assuming she will have one. Um, so if you are a bit confused, obviously there is no such person as Lucy Barrows. Amber Waterman is Lucy Barrows, whether or not – yeah, whether or not Jamie, her husband, Amber's husband, knew any of this, we don't know. He claims not to. Um, there hasn't really been an update on his court proceedings. I guess he's not really the main focus because essentially he just kind of helped clean up after the fact. He isn't allegedly the murderer. So I just think it's always crazy how in just all different stories, how many people like help clean up the body and stuff yeah. versus being like, well, like, I'm like, what? I'm not getting involved in this. <laughs> I and I get it even... sometimes when it's the girl, like the girl might be like if her husband or whoever like killed someone was like you need to help me with this like maybe she's fearful for her life then but when it's like the guy I guess sure he could be fearful of his girlfriend killing him too but usually like the guy's not gonna be that scared of a girl no and I feel like I could you know panic would explain it a little bit but I just can't even imagine coming home like imagine if you got home and your partner's like oh just help me do this I'd be like what no like not only did he help you like went and got a sofa to add to the fire and got the oil to pour over the body and yeah it's yeah it's just an unbelievable it's like a movie it's just unbelievable that this actually just happened yeah it's a-, it's a very, very sad case. Um, you know, just Ashley was looking for help, um, looking for a way to kind of support her family because they were struggling and Amber, Lucy, took advantage of her. Yeah, it's sad that you can't even look for help because there's plenty of people who just offer help and want to help, like give old baby clothes, stuff like that. But then it's like there's that random person that like she clearly set a trap when she yeah. made that post as Lucy Barrows being like, oh, I have baby stuff to give away. Like, it could have been anyone that answered. It's interesting that she only made the account on October 25th, which was literally just a few days before. So her plan doesn't seem to have been very thought out or very um, meticulous. Like, she, you know, if she was allegedly 
nearly seven or eight months pregnant, she had time to do this. I, I would be interested to know Amber's backstory. If she was pregnant at one point, didn't tell Jamie she lost it, or if she yes, was just I was wondering too. desperate to keep Jamie. Like I would I feel like we will probably find out more as time goes on, but I'll be interested to hear the backstory. Yeah, so I was wondering too, like if she was pregnant at some point or I wonder if, if she, she really was. did she have like these four, stomach? four miscarriages as alleged. Yeah. So the next story we're going to talk about it is a similar story from 2017. It was a huge story when it happened. I remember it was another one, like, because how we were saying Cosmo DiNardo was one of the first ones we, like, followed in True Crime Society on Facebook when we made the group. And this was, like, another early big one because it was also in 2017. But, yeah, I remember I was – really into following this one and that is the murder of pregnant woman savannah lafontaine graywind so she was 22 years old when she was murdered on september 3rd 2017 and she was eight months pregnant at the time that she died savannah graywind was living in a little apartment complex located in north fargo she lived downstairs on the basement floor of this three-story walk-up with her mother and father and brother. There's a knock on the door, and it is her neighbor who lives upstairs, Brooke Lynn Cruz. Brooke wanted Savannah to come upstairs and to help her with a sewing project. She was sewing a dress. She wanted Savannah to be her model. She went upstairs. It was the last anyone ever saw her. My daughter is missing. The lady on third floor had came down and asked her if she would do, like, mannequin for tailoring. Immediately, my heart dropped. I knew instantly something happened to my daughter. Uh, Savannah was born to Norberta and Joe Graywind in Belcourt, North Dakota on August 9th, 1995, and she worked at a nursing home. She'd been dating her boyfriend, Ashton Matheny, since she was a freshman. They planned to start their family together, and Savannah was excited to become a mom. Her family had said that she loved horses, all animals, and all the residents um, that she cared for at her job. She was close with her family as well, and she was a member of the Spirit Lake Sioux Tribe, so she was a Native American. So Savannah had been living with her family in a basement apartment in Fargo, North Dakota, and she had plans to move out with Ashton. The apartment above Savannah's was occupied by another couple named Brooke Cruz, who was 38, and William Hone, who was 32. Um, the two had been together since 2014, so three years at the time this happened and they moved into the apartment complex in may 2016 so other residents had said that the couple were known for their volatile arguments that were often so loud that they shook other apartments which sounds very loud <laughs> and just some background on their relationship william he pled guilty to assault in 2016 after he threw brooke in a bathtub the court ordered him to have no contact with brooke but police were called to the apartment six months later following a disturbance report and william was found to be there and he was violating that no contact order obviously brooke and william had what seemed like a complicated life they had nine children between the two of them with many different partners um brooke had been sued 
multiple times for not paying child support as well. So seems like they just kind of had a lot going on, going on. very chaotic. Yeah. So in January 2017, William and Brooke's relationship was really on the rocks at this point. She lied and told William that she was pregnant in an attempt to trap him in the relationship, which seems kind of similar to what Amber could have done in the first story we talked about as well. Um, Brooke later told police that she came to believe her own lies and she believed she was pregnant with a baby due mid-August 2017. At some point, William found out that Brooke was lying to him about being pregnant and he was really angry. Um, allegedly, he told her to produce a baby or else he would leave her, which I'm like, what? I don't know. It's just a, a crazy, a weird thing to say. I don't know if he meant it in the way that she ended up taking it or what? Yeah. So mid-August came and that was when Brooke was meant to give birth. And on August 19th, 2017, Brooke texted Savannah because you know, I don't know if they were really friends, but they lived in the same little apartment building, so they must have been at least acquaintances. And Savannah was eight months pregnant at the time, and Brooke asked her to come and assist with a sewing project. Savannah agreed, and we've read that Brooke asked Savannah to help her tailor a dress and offered to pay her like 20 bucks for it. Savannah texted her mother at 1.24 p.m. She said that she ordered pizza for lunch for the family. She told another family member at this time that she was going to help Brooke with a project. This is the last time that Savannah was seen alive. So at 233, Norberta, who is Savannah's mother, she sent Savannah a text message. And Norberta later told police that she saw William arrive at the apartment complex between 233 and 240. Savannah's car was still parked in the complex and her purse was in the kitchen of her apartment. And she was supposed to give her brother a ride to work, but she didn't show up for that. So Norberta became very worried at that point. So she called Fargo Police Department at 4.30 to report Savannah missing, and police arrived around a half hour later, and they conducted a search of Brooke and William's apartment with their consent, but didn't really find anything unusual or suspicious. They searched the apartment again at 10.30 that night, and they returned again on August 20th, conducted a third search, and again, didn't really find much. So we now know that Savannah got to Brooke's apartment to help her, and Brooke tried to start an argument with her by accusing her of mistreating cats. Brooke told police that they argued and that Savannah fell and hit her head on the bathroom sink. Brooke said that Savannah was knocked out and that was when she decided to cut the baby from Savannah's womb. So it's believed she used a utility knife or some sort of blade to remove the baby. And Savannah was alive when the baby was cut from her and she woke up briefly but fell back into being unconscious. This information comes from a blog from Talk Murder With Me. It says... While Brooke was cleaning up the blood from the bathroom floor, William returned home to find Brooke holding the newborn. This is our baby, she said to William. This is our family. William asked if Savannah was dead, to which Brooke replied, I don't know. Please help me. According to Brooke, William left the bathroom and came back with a rope, which he tightened around Savannah's neck until she was no longer breathing. He then said, he then said, if she wasn't dead before, she is now. So it's unknown whether Savannah ultimately died of blood loss or the strangulation. The autopsy only lists her death as homicidal violence. That's another one where it's just like this guy just comes home. Yeah. There's a, there's a random baby here. And now you're just going to help finish murdering this poor girl. Like, yeah. It's like, how do these people find each other? I guess that's how like they attract <laughs> each other. Because a normal person would probably have seen a lot of red flags by now. 
Um, so Brigham William then hid Savannah's body in a bathroom closet and then put it in a hollowed out dresser. They hid the baby under bed covers during searches. So it's also like the police were searching and their body was in there. I can't believe they searched that apartment like three or four times and still did not find anything. And the baby is alive. Yeah. They got very lucky. Brooke and William did. Yeah. Like how did the baby not cry or anything? On August 21st, 2017, Savannah's body was dumped, still inside of the dresser, into the Red River in North Fargo. William's story was that both he and Brooke dumped the body and that they had the baby with them while they did it. Brooke's version of events was a little different. She said that she stayed at home at the apartment with the baby while just William dumped Savannah's body. So on August 22nd, 2017, William was arrested on an outstanding warrant. He was arrested after he returned home from buying diapers at Walmart. Brooke has since said that she believed they would be caught following this incident. They what? <laughs> they brought the baby. They had like they had the baby with them in a bag, but the police didn't look in the bag. This baby like never cries. <laughs> yeah, so they had the baby in a bag and somehow police didn't find the baby at the state either. <sighs> exhausting <laughs> William had apparently told co-workers that he and Brooke had a baby and upon learning this um, combined with the diaper shopping trip police execute a search warrant on August 24th 2017 so I think even though police kind of missed a lot during these searches clearly they were always suspicious of them and like watching them because they knew they were up to something and I guess it was the last place that she was known to be. Um, yeah. I feel like the focus was on them. They just had no proof for a while. Yeah. The baby was finally found at this time. Brooke and William were both arrested, and a DNA test confirmed that the baby found in Brooke's apartment belonged to Savannah. On August 27, 2017, Savannah's body was discovered in the Red River. She was found by kayakers, and her body had been wrapped up in garbage bags. The legal process for this case happened quickly for Brooke. On December 11, 2017, Brooke pled guilty to charges of conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and lying to police. Why don't they – I was wondering this before. Like, why don't they get charged with just murder? Like, why is it conspiracy to commit murder? Because she pled guilty, know. maybe? Yeah, so yeah maybe – yeah, possibly like a plea deal type thing. Or maybe because they can't prove that, like, Savannah didn't fall and hit her head. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. The charges always confuse me with these things. <sighs> Brooke cried throughout her testimony and she apologized for the hurt she had caused Savannah's family. She said, there's no excuse. There's no rationalization. There's nothing. My actions devastated a family and shocked the community that I called home. Brooke was sentenced to life in prison without a chance of parole on February 2nd, 2018. She said, I'm just really, really, really sorry. I wish I could take their pain. I wish I hadn't done this. There's no excuse. There's no rationalization. There's nothing. I know it doesn't help, but I'm sorry. She said, I'm guilty. I deserve every year that I get. William's legal case was a bit more drawn out. He was charged with conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and providing false information to police. And he initially pled not guilty to all three charges. On September 4th, 2018, he changed his plea for the conspiracy to commit kidnapping and providing false information charges to guilty. His trial for the conspiracy to commit murder charge started on September 18th and ran for nine days. During his trial, Brooke testified against him and William's attorney. He asked her, you never told Will that you had planned to do this. Is that right? And she said not to kill Savannah for her baby. No. 
And he, the lawyer said, in fact, there was never a conversation at all about killing Savannah and taking her baby. And Brooke said, not explicitly. So he was acquitted of this charge on September 28, 2018. He was originally sentenced to life in prison, but the sentence was overturned by the North Dakota Supreme Court. And in October 2019, he was resentenced to 20 years in prison, which I feel like is kind of light. Yeah. Considering he might have been the one to actually murder her. Even though I don't know, I I just sometimes I just can't figure out how it works. Like even the guy David, whatever his name is, David in the Osolia Gal case, he got twenty five years for manslaughter. Like I just just don't know how sometimes they do it. Yeah, I feel like if you murder someone, like it should be automatically life in prison. Yeah, especially when it's as clear as some of these cases. I guess for some, like I don't know, some of these people. I don't know how old William is now. He's, pro- I would guess, he's probably in his forties. So, twenty years might equal life. You know, yeah, depending on his health. Life, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I agree. L- might as well be life. But in that case, it's like it just sounds better to the family. It's like imagine if like your loved one was murdered and the person the, who did it or the person who helped do it only got twenty years. I'd be like, fuck that. Yeah. But so one silver lining with this case is that Savannah's daughter did survive. And Savannah and Ashton, that was um, her boyfriend at the time, they picked out the name Hazley Joe before Savannah was murdered. So her full name is Hazley Joe Greywind Matheny. She is now probably about five years old. Yeah, she is five. Five in August she was, so. Uh, and Ashton, his family, him and his family have custody of her. And they said that she is calm and happy child who is always smiling so he has open social media with lots of photos of Hazley, and apparently someone told me he also has a tiktok where she does you know cute little things she's very beautiful sweet looking little thing yeah because I, I remember this was like a really big story when it happened and i remember like so many people are invested in the story so it's nice of him to give updates on how she's doing because i know a lot of people were really wanting to know like how she was and cared about her I feel like in most of these cases, because of the way the baby is taken from the mother, the baby often doesn't survive either. So it's just like such a blessing that this child did survive in this case. And at least they've got that one little, you know, glimmer of hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I wonder like how, I feel like this is the only case that I've really heard of where the baby survived. Yeah, I agree. Like most of them that I can think of off the top of my head, the baby hasn't survived. I can't remember. Is there like, was there another case where this happened where she pretended that she was like selling baby clothes? And like, I feel like that sounds familiar because at first I thought that was Savannah's where it was like something to do with baby clothes. I know that was like Ashley's kind of, but I felt like there was another one. And then like the whoever it was that like did the murdering was like looking up like how to perform a C-section or something. Have to look later. Well, yeah, there's one here in yeah Chicago where a woman was lured to a house to pick up free baby clothes that had been offered in a pregnant mother's Facebook group. Maybe that's the one you're yeah. thinking of. Marlon. That sounds familiar. Lopez. Yeah. Maybe she was promised a stroller and baby clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So another silver lining, I guess, is that as a result of Savannah's murder, former North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp, she introduced Savannah's act in the United States Senate in October 2017. Um, The bill was co-sponsored by Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and the bill aims to improve tribal access to federal crime information databases and create standardized protocols for responding to cases of missing and murdered Native American women. 
Um, as of September 21st, 2020, Savannah's act had passed the U.S. House of Representatives. And on October 10th, 2020, Savannah's act was signed into law by President Trump. The Republican Senator of North Dakota and chairman of the Senate Committee of Indiana Affairs, he co-sponsored the bill and his statement said Savannah's act addresses a tragic, a tragic issue and helps establish better law enforcement practices to track, solve and prevent these crimes against Native Americans. We appreciate our House colleagues for passing the bill today and sending it on to the president to become law at the same time, we continue working to advance more legislation like this to strengthen public safety in tribal communities and ensure victims of crime receive support and justice. So that is Savannah's story. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like, There's a lot of stats about the murders of pregnant women. Homicide is the leading cause of death for pregnant women in the USA, um, which is crazy. Like, You would think that it would be a health-related thing, but yeah, the main reason is homicide. Um, but you're just I think the part that blows my mind the most is that these women who concoct this plan are so desperate that they really think that they're going to get away with this like for one you're murdering someone they're going to be missing people are going to be looking for them and then you suddenly have a baby which I guess like you faked your pregnancy so yeah you would have a baby but I feel like there's so many ways to get caught more so than even just like a a regular run-of-the-mill murder like yeah absolutely there's so many other you've got this whole thing that now you've got to keep alive if the baby survives or you've got to explain why the baby died like it's yeah there's a lot going on that you'd need to deal with and why the baby ends up not looking anything <laughs> like you or your partner like. yeah yeah um do you want to talk about the new one yeah so i know a lot of people will probably be familiar with a really similar case that's actually just kind of wrapped up. It's about the case of Reagan Simmons Hancock. She was 21 when she was murdered in 2020 by Taylor Parker. This was another massive case and I think we'll have to do an episode on it by itself because it's just crazy as well. Taylor cut Reagan's baby from her and both Reagan and the baby died. Prosecutors have said that in an attempt to keep her boyfriend, Taylor made herself look pregnant, she faked ultrasounds, and she even had a gender reveal party. So this that was next level. That is next level insanity. I totally forgot about this case. Now Did you remember? This reading- was like a, a big yeah, one that we covered in the group. Yeah. So the main kind of update in that case is that Taylor has actually been sentenced to death. Like I believe just today or yesterday she's been sentenced to death for the crime. So I think we will have to do a whole episode on that because it's yeah too much to go into now. Maybe this is also crazy. the one I was like half thinking I of. wondered if you were, but I, I can't really remember baby closing that one. I remember the gender reveal and all that stuff that she Yeah, faked, I feel like I just probably got confused with like two different stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one is big. And weren't there's weren't we mentioned in like a newspaper or something? <laughs> it's all a blur, but yeah, I feel I feel like we were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like we were like the first ones to post about it and then it, it blew up so crazy. Well definitely. And if I remember so rightly, then. the two women like so the murderer and the victim were friends. Yeah. And had, yeah, yeah. So that was even yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do another episode on that one. I, I totally forgot about that one. Yeah. 22 hours ago, there's articles, yeah, sentenced to death. So it's very recent. Do we have anything else to say? I think we kind of like set our thoughts as we went. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, we'll just have to keep you updated with what happens with Ashley, Ash- Ashley's case and Amber's trial. So 
Yeah, hopefully when we find out in the next few days apparently why the judge thinks she's a danger because he said he will give an explanation, we'll post it on our social media and on the blog and all that as well. So we do have an Ashley Bush highlight on Instagram. So if you aren't familiar with the case, you can go there and check out all the things that we've spoken about, the Facebook posts, the social media posts, all that stuff is in the highlight. I do really want to know what they did that whole day. Yeah, and especially if – she didn't work at that company. Like I thought maybe she did work at the company and that this, this was but kind did, of – That was the lit- thing I was going to ask because they said Lucy didn't work at the company, but did Amber? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. I didn't even think about that. I feel like no. I haven't seen <laughs> – I haven't seen anywhere that Amber had a job or what. Or maybe she did work at more Walmart like she told the police, but I feel like no. But, yeah, I'd love to know what they did that whole day. Yeah, I feel like we'll find out. But. Yeah, but it'll have to come out in the trial, surely. All right, so that is it for this episode. We'll put everything on the blog, like we always do, truecrimesocietyblog.com. Um, and like Olivia was just saying, we have a good highlight on Ashley's case. We have lots of highlights, and we always post stuff to our stories when there's updates on Instagram. So check out our account there. It's just True Crime Society. We have our personal accounts. Mine is StuffSum underscore. Olivia's TCS Olivia. Always posting exciting stuff. And give us a rating, review. You guys have been really good at that lately. Um, love again some good reviews. And share the podcast with your friends, family, whoever. It's the holidays, so instead of giving a gift, you could just recommend the podcast, and that's the gift. <laughs> that's a great gift. That's a great all I gift. Want for they'll, Christmas. Be, they'll be so happy. Um, <laughs> great last minute gift. Um, and check out our sponsors for other last minute gifts or anything like that. Um, everything will be linked in the show notes or the episode notes, whatever. And that is it. So thank you guys for listening. Um, Look out for each other out there. And did I say thanks for listening? My head hurts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. See ya. Bye. International Festival for the Business of Podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com.